from Uberworld to 4X. This is a Project Podcast, episode 55. And stuff. Welcome to another podcast, episode number 55, with me, your host, Graham Sheridan. Now, apologies for it being late, late, this has been basically my year, this sort of, uh, well not just lateness, but uh, yeah, due to work and other sort of things getting in the way, um, it's turning out to be more like six weeks between podcasts instead of just four and a bit you know, monthly. I do apologise, I'll try and get back onto track next year, and, um, well, this year, uh, it's been a bit of a, well, bit of an odd one, but hey-ho, uh, this month's book is The Monstrous Regiment, but before we get on with any of that, there's a whole bunch still to get on with in between, so we'll start off with the Ankh-Morpork Times. Times! Times! Get your Ankh-Morpork Times! Times! Get your Ankh-Morpork Times! Now, the only thing to end the year off with is, well, what else should it be? What the next year should be called? 2018 is the year of the justifiably defensive lobster. Yes, this has been an official lobster has been acquired. And Pox, Ank, Mork, Pork, Post Office Handbook Announcement. Oh, sorry. Thank you for Rachel, uh, Rachel from uh, This World Monthly, uh, for posting that up on the group. That literally came up today as of recording, so that was rather uh, nice. It's the only bit of news, really, I've got at the moment. Um, otherwise, the only things that are going on are the fact that uh, Good Omens is middle uh, in filming. Uh, they are constantly uh, announcing uh, which actors play what. Uh, a few surprises and a few sort of, um, well, <clears throat> I'll have to wait and see when it gets out because unfortunately... David Tennant looks like he's doing a red-headed version of his role in Fright Night. Which is kind of odd. Anyway, but the good thing is that uh, you keep an eye out either on the podcast or uh, on the podcast group or on um, The Ancient Dead or Grebos or one of the other um, Pratchett groups. And Rachel's usually pretty good with these things and we'll let you know and um, put information up of new casting as soon as uh, she or Anthony knows about it so that's about it for the news and we'll be uh, well actually on to new members of the watch back in a bit welcome to the watch sergeant detritus over there will swear you in detritus yes mr vines Oh, quite a bit of a list for this month. 
new members of watch now what is it new members of watch as i repeat basically basically every podcast because there are new listeners uh you know after every podcast has gone out so what it basically means if you are a member of facebook uh, facebook facing the book Pratzenbuch, as i generally like to call it over here in Uberwald. Uh, basically, what it means is that if you look, uh, there's the search field. So it looks like a, an old, it looks like a line with a circle. Um, for those too young uh, to know what it means, that's a magnifying glass. And it's become, magnifying glass has been the universal term for search for quite a long time on computers, as well as uh, the other thing that looks, well, it's an odd look of thing. Most people know it as just the save symbol. I was old enough know that as uh, you used to have um, 1.44 megabytes floppy disks, or they weren't that floppy. That was due to the fact that the original floppy disks were floppy and they were just put into a heavy, heavy um, housing. Anyway, I'm drifting. Yes, so the new members of Box. So if you type in on that search field, uh, the Pratchett podcast, I'll let you in as soon as I possibly can. Uh, the slight delay is because I want to get your name down for this list of the new members of the watch. And the new members of the watch are as following. Chris Tynan, Manette Eaton, Andrea Mason, Matthew Binding, Hedwig Art, Murray Wilson, Helen L. Wakeham, Amy Hodius, I think that's how you say it, or Hoydius. Amy, let, let me know how that's pronounced, please. Uh, Frank McArdle, oh, McArdle, McArdle, blowing out, teeth are in backwards, Scott Wilson, Carla Newman Corking, now here's a nice one, I've got somebody who's either, well, I think is probably most likely somebody who is from Iceland, oh, absolutely brilliant, uh, Christiana Erla Zogiena Björnsdotter, I think I got that right. Uh, the only thing I know, well, I know how that's what it means. That's the daughter from Bjorn. That's how they get their, their surnames there. It's brilliant. Very simple and brilliant idea. So, Chris Howard. And last but not least, Mariel Anna. I think that's how it's said. I'm so sorry. Um, <clears throat> but like I say, if you're wanting your name right out... On the podcast, we have ways of making you uh, on it, you know. And uh, like I say, go to the search field in Facebook, type in the Project Podcast, and I'll add you to the group, and you'll be read out in the next podcast after that. So, just to annoy Colin a lot, so, 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 he really doesn't like that, um... I was going to drift there. I'm going to stop it. Stop. No, no, no. Don't drift. Don't drift. We are going to move on to talking of Colin. Clacks! 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 Well, basically, what is clacks? Clacks is where I read out emails I received, mostly from Colin. In fact, mostly all from Colin. I've had maybe one or two from other people. Uh... I think Rebecca Baptista and Peter in um, 
Australia. And they're about the only two sort of people that send in claxes so far, other than Colin. And Colin's really good because Colin sends in every month. Um, really like to thank Colin, and he will be on the programme eventually when I get a bit of a rhythm to my life. Uh, who am I kidding? Rhythm, my life. <clears throat> Not with these things. Now we need to set some time out there. I can actually look forward to it. And when I eventually get Colin on here, what we will do um, is actually do, um, well, because we talked about it, hopefully I'll get him on here and we will discuss Nightwatch in a bit more detail than just the review. So that'll be a special episode. And sorry Colin, but literally I'm having to squeeze these things in at the moment where I can. But this is Colin's Clacks. And this is about this month's book, 2002 read of the Monstrous Regiment. He writes for 2002. Didn't like the book. It wasn't Disworld-like. I was reading Bernard Crawwell at the time, Sharp series. It seemed to be uh, too similar to it, but less blood and gore. Subsequent reads. Never really looked forward to reading it, but every read the book got better and better. So fast forwarding up to the present time. Jackram popped the tobacco in his mouth. You know what most of the military training is, Perks, he went on. All that yelling from little spit-bobs like Strappy. It's to turn you into a man who will, on the word of command, stick his blade into some poor sod just like him who happens to be wearing the wrong uniform. He's like you. You're like him. He doesn't really want to kill you. You don't really want to kill him. But if you don't kill him first, he'll kill you. That's the start and finish of it. It don't come easy without training. That is a truism I have come across in various books from different authors. Bernard Cron uh, uh, Cornwell, Alexander Kent, Dudley Pope. The average soldier in any army is just another guy with whom you would get on with. This was proven in the 1914 uh, Christmas truce, when the troops arguably could have ended the war by socialising, much to the horror of the high commands on all sides. There is a good Wikipedia article on it. Just type Christmas truce into the search bar. On a side note, um, if you go looking, um, there is a certain Paul McCartney song uh, about this subject. So, getting back to Collins Clacks. The average soldier or sailor in the 18th stroke 19th century did not fight for his country. He did not care about his country except in rare cases. They fought for their ship or regiment. And if they were lucky enough to be led by a good officer, they fought well. Was Blouse a good officer? Initially you would think no. He presented, uh, he's presented as a chinless wonder. I visualised the actor Jonathan Cecil who often played English upper-class characters uh, in the 70s and 80s. He also read many other P.G. Woodhouse audiobooks. Uh, I would have put in there Tim McInerney. Um, go and look up Blackadder Goes Forth. He played Captain Darling. So, getting back to Colin's Clacks. But then, he made a decision with the Clacks effectively hiding the regiment in full view. A much better decision than what Jackram would have done. But he does not tell Jackram what he's doing. Yes, he's an officer. It's a prerogative not to tell his sort of... Sort of <sighs> and then we'll have Dave laughing his head off. Subordinates. 
but in that case it would have been better to do so. On the other hand, Jackram is so convinced that Blouse is a bad officer he cannot see past his inexperience to the intelligence below. Jackram is too set in his ways. Play on the phrase Monstrous Regiment. Everybody knows about you, Lieutenant. You're the Monstrous Regiment, you are, he said. No offence meant, of course. They say you've got a troll and a vampire and an eagle and a werewolf. I think I knew what the phrase Monstrous Regiment meant before this book was published out there. Uh, but there is so much on Wikipedia. Unfortunately, the general Google search does not work because nearly all the reg uh, results relate to this book. The phrase originally, uh, originally uh, seemed to have been coined by John Knox in the 16th century, a Scottish Protestant religious reformer uh, writing against the Catholic Mary Queen of Scots. He sort of got his wish when uh, a Protestant ruler came to the throne in England in 1558. Uh, but unfortunately for him, Elizabeth I was a woman who did not take kindly to be called monstrous in any form or uh, meaning unnatural. Of course, the Pratchean twist to the book uh, is that most of the principal characters turn out to be women, including Strappy. No, Strappy's not. Strappy was a man. But uh, <coughs> spoilers. Um, I will give you a side on this. Um, the German translation for this book is uh, Weiber Regiment, as in the women's regiment, which basically gives away the book right at the beginning. Uh, the real reveal scene is superb. This time I got a lump in my throat when Jackram did it. It still impacts me when I know it's coming. Colin, I cheer up every single time. So, getting back to Karen's collapses. Ah. Uh, what country is Borogravia supposed to be represented? The Euphrates of British nineteenth uh, um, century. Uh, Slobodinian are blue, similar to the French of the same era, but uh, names of uh, officers and, and names are Germanic. The first uh, use of the word um, yeah. oh, that new taste, don't I? <coughs> first new, first use of the word embuggerance by Sir Terry. A book uh, ending, uh, found it odd that after such a short time that Borogravia would be preparing for war again. Against who? Slovenia? Yeah. And what would Ankh-Morp do about it? Not to mention, uh, not mentioned again uh, at all in all the later books. In this case, as long as Borogravia do not touch the clutch towers, uh, ankh will not care. The book gets better on each reread. Five out of five. Miss quote from Terry via, <laughs> via uh, Bernard Pearson. The fine artificer of uh, this world emporium. Bernard, I finally put you in a book and I've got to turn into a girl. Jack Crumb's ending, usually sentimental, unusually sentimental for someone who did, uh, who did not write sentiment. And yeah, maybe I should have said spoilers at the beginning of that. Oops. So if you want to send in feedback, uh, otherwise known as the clacks, then write to pratchettpodcast at gmail.com that is pratchettpodcast at gmail.com don't put a the at the beginning because Reese will get it and Reese is very very busy um, with uh, completing university because now his other half has completed university now they're swapping roles so his half is now looking after their baby uh, hello Reese. and hello the whole family uh, little Robin is uh, growing up at a great rate or not Every time I see a new photo of him, I'm like, gee whiz, he keeps getting taller. He's definitely an absolute halfway house between the two of them. 
It's absolutely fantastic. Anyway, and so greetings to all there. And uh, but like I say, please don't put other in front. Uh, it'll get, end up getting Reese, and I will not get to see it. Uh, maybe if I get Reese on here sometime in the future to do some sort of review with me once again. Uh, but we'll have to look at summertime. I summertime here in Uberfeld and uh, wintertime over in Forex. That's usually sort of the best thing. Anyway, to carry on. Uh, yeah, like I say, send to pratchettpodcast at gmail.com or send me a message. Um, I'm on the Facebook group, the Pratchett Podcast. Uh, so either send me a message through the Pratchett Podcast itself uh write something in the group itself uh type in my name in there or um if you find me you could actually i'm publicly open due to this podcast and other things that i tend to get gets in my way of doing some normal things like uh i'm in a hard rock band um that's why i got a public pro uh, publicly open profile so you can send me a message and I'll get to you that way. Otherwise, I shall be carrying on after this, which will be on to the Fool's Guild. Once again, this time with Colin. So, Fool's Guild is basically anything that is of interest that is not part of what I'd say main podcast. So, main podcast would be if you've got thoughts about the book that's been um, reviewed in the current podcast, as in this one will be uh, Monstrous Regiment, as I've just read out. Now, um, Fool's Guild is for anything entertainment or entertaining otherwise. That means uh, if I've got finally got through another um, a quick, you know, like a quick um, blast through of a uh, new book, as in um, when I eventually get my hands on the the new Pratchett um, Kiddies book, <coughs> is a collection uh, for Christmas. Uh, otherwise, it's maybe a quick review of um, the Rivers of London, which seems to be the main other thing. Um, so, as I say, this one is um, well. This is exactly what was on about. Um, this is what um, Colin thought of the new book, uh, the Fake Beard. Amy, no. Latest Pratchettian tome was released worldwide on Wednesday, the fourth of October. Well, worldwide, except in one small town in the south of England, because a certain establishment was closed. Uh, yes, I'm looking at you. You know, you're listening. You said so. If you do purchase from the Emporium, you get a free bookmark with a tassel. I'm sure there's a tassel joke in there somewhere. Uh, evening all, or insert time period of your choice. Okay. Colin likes doing footnotes. Anyway, once I obtained the book and I had a nice chat, it was down to reading. Uh, oh, yeah, and Colin doesn't actually live that far away from the Emporium these days. So I'm just looking forward to the day where we get the thing that says Colin's got a job there. Well, I mean, not half bad, you know, maybe helping out in the mail order. That's only going to get bigger. 
Anywho, which to be honest didn't take very long. It's a very nice, precisely presented but short book. There are 11 stories gleaned from various newspaper contributions Terry had made during the earlier years in his career. Uh, they date from the late 60s when he was working for the Box Free Press to the late 80s when he had given up his work uh, work, uh, work malarkey to become a poor, proper writer. I was going to say a poor writer or a pauper writer. Um, <coughs> I misread, sorry. They're in no particular order and they're most definitely written for a young audience. But what I like about many of them is that they contain ideas and names that are reused from his later works. For example, the first story... And the name used for this volume, Father Christmas's Fake Beard, is basically a very early version of what happened in Hogfather at Crumpley's Toy Store. Except, here, there were reindeer, and not pigs doing unspeakable things. Another one you reused in Hogfather, I think, was the computer who wrote to Father Christmas. Yes, uh, the computer that wrote to Father Christmas would have been Hex. So you are right. Ended up with a computer only working if you left it a teddy bear on top of it. Another footnote. Funny enough, I had a similar issue with a game in the late 90s. It would not run on the 25th of any month. No idea why. Well, that's kind of odd, yeah. The town of Blackberry and a company called Anco feature some of the 60s and 70s uh, stories. Incidentally, I may have said this before, I was convinced that the town of Blackberry actually existed because it's such a quintessential name unlike say toaster uh, which is just there to confuse foreigners and Anko uh, the Anko thing I do believe was uh, the name that he used for the gnomes trilogy um, you know the big store Anko and Sons something like that anyway established mention should be made of the illustrations by Mark Beach, which are wonderful. Uh, Mark Beach did all the illustrations in the book so far. Uh, it's sort of a Roald Dahl sort of style, you know. And they reminded me of those done by Quentin Blake, particularly in the Roald Dahl books of the 1980s. Um, a quick wiki shows Mr. Blake is still with us, as now 84, and as of 2016, still illustrating. Keep on at it, it's what keeps you alive, keeps you ticking over. It's when you sit still and stick your thumb up your your jack seat and you start at that age then dropping off unfortunately it's the truth I've had too much experience with it in the last uh, 10 years or so so uh, strange. having done a newly discovered Beatrix Potter oh new Beatrix Potter book ooh I have to go look for that group of Beatrix Potter anyway <coughs> I'm drifting lastly I did say this book was short even shorter when you read it because the last 20 pages are ads most notably the first uh, chapter of Truckers. Ah, yeah, tra Truckers, you see. Uh, I think this is a bit naughty. It does make me wonder uh, whether we'll get another one next year. All in all, there's a nice little book. The stories are uh, little pieces of ephemera. Uh, this won't be the first Pratchett purchase, but if you're a fan, it's a no-brainer. So, cheers, Colin. And the same address applies uh, if you want to send me anything in for the... Um, for the Fools Guild as well. That is Pratchett's podcast at gmail.com. Send me a message through Facebook Messenger or on the Pratchett Podcast Facebook group. 
and uh, I'll read it out here. If it's like I say, if it's a review or anything, it's like um, if you've seen other plays, um, I say Rachel's rather good uh, putting the plays up. I'm just rather bad at telling you about them on the podcast uh, because by the time I get to recording a podcast, I look at the dates and they've already happened mostly. But uh, keep your eyes out. Uh, the only thing I've seen of recent is that um, Mr. Stephen Briggs, uh, the patrician, uh, is currently doing uh, a run of Julius Caesar. Uh, it's all done in a sort of, uh, it's the classic Julius Caesar, but uh, done with relatively modern um, army uniforms. We had a little bit of discussion, well, me and another ex-military type from the uh, 9th, 12th Lancers uh, had a um, nice wee discussion with him because we were totally interested uh, in what was the decision and why and Steve was just more interested in being a play and it was just an aesthetic for the play. It was really cool um, because his, uh, his, his, his berry that he's wearing uh, is based on, loosely based on um, Monty or Montgomery's, uh, very famous from World War II, uh, berry that he wore. Um, but I am drifting. So, that's all done. We are now getting up to the point where it is my turn to review the book with words and pictures on an audio podcast. Pictures on an audio podcast of all things. <sighs> Back in a bit. Polly cut her hair off in front of the mirror, feeling slightly guilty about it not feeling very guilty about doing so. It was supposed to be her crowning glory, and everyone said it was beautiful. But she generally wore it in a net when she was working. She'd always told herself it was wasted on her, yet she was careful to see what the long golden coils all landed on a small sheet of paper out for the purpose. If she would admit to any strong emotion at this time, it was sheer annoyance that a haircut was all she needed to pass for a young man. She didn't even need to bind up her bosom, which she heard was the normal practice. Nature had seen to it that she had barely any problems in this area. The effects the scissors had was erratic, but it was no worse than other male haircuts here. It'd do. She did feel cold on the back of her neck, but that was only partly because of the loss of her long hair. It was also because of the stare. The Duchess watched from above the bed. It was a poor woodcut, hand-coloured, mostly in blue and red. It was of a plain, middle-aged woman whose slightly sagging chin and slightly bulging eyes gave the cynical feeling that someone had put a large fish in a dress, but the artist had managed to capture something extra in that strange, blank expression. Some pictures had eyes that followed you around the room, this one looked right through you. It was a face you found in every home in Borogravia. You grow up with a duchess watching you. Polly knew her parents had had one of these pictures in her room and knew also that when her mother was alive, she used to curtsy to it every night. She reached up and turned this picture around so it faced the wall. A thought in her head said, no. It was overruled. She'd made her mind up. Then she dressed herself in her brother's clothes, tipped the contents of the sheet into a small bag that went into the bottom of her pack along with the spare clothes, put a note to her father on the bed, picked up the pack and climbed out of the window. At least Polly climbed out the window, but it was Oliver's feet 
that lightly landed on the ground. So, this is a review of the Monstrous Regiment. Now, as you may have heard in previous podcasts, uh, if you're new to this podcast, this will be the point where I reveal that I was in the British military for 13 and a half years, uh, serving in places like Bosnia and Kosovo. Uh, Bosnia only went there once, it was 97, uh, as peacekeeping duties, and Kosovo, unfortunately, uh, it was 99, and we marched in uh, after an air campaign and took over. Uh, from the Serbians. So anybody who's done any amount of time uh, in any army of sorts, especially the British ones, will instantly recognise a lot of the characters, be they female in this book or male. It doesn't matter. You will recognise them. It doesn't matter if they're troll or vampire. You will recognise them. Um, There are clever officers and there are officers who think they are clever. Officers who think they are clever uh, basically ruined most of my career uh, thinking knowing what was the best for me and I end up proving them wrong at every turn. Um, as an example, um, I was in the Rimi and uh, as far as trade goes uh, people outside my part of the unit kept on telling my OC that I was a useless mechanic, which wasn't true. Uh, As I was based not too far from where I live now, they sent me over to England uh, to get me retested. I went there, did the retests, and the people that uh, were in the test centre said, we don't know what you're doing here. There's obviously something wrong in your unit, which ended up getting proved a little bit later as my OC got posted elsewhere and got into major trouble after effing up big style. Later on in another unit, uh, people from outside my unit, or outside my part of the unit, said I was a useless mechanic once again. Now you'd think this possibly because I was a useless mechanic. It wasn't. Actually, okay mechanic. I wouldn't say it was brilliant, but it was okay. Uh, very good inspections, of course, but um, that's what I ended up doing for the last uh, couple of years in the army. But um, once again, and uh, basically what happened, they sent me off to do my class one, uh, which is the utmost um, qualification you can get as a mechanic uh, in the British Army, uh, as far as Remy goes, and yeah, as a mechanic. After that, it becomes artificer, and that is basically management. Before anybody possibly reading here is listening. Anyway, um, and my OC didn't think I'd pass it. According to people that was around him, uh, basically, uh, my LED attachment was about two kilometers away from where he was. And I basically only ever see saw the OC once in a blue moon, uh, when it was absolutely necessary. Uh, otherwise, we were all up with the tanks uh, at Warminster. Um, he didn't think I could pass my class one. But he was going to send me anyway to prove that he was right. And I came back with my class one. 
Not just pass, but pass with good credit. So this is why uh, Corporal Strappy, aka Captain Strappy, spoilers here. Uh, I will mention this. This will be probably the most spoilerific um, because it's one of the few books that I can really go to uh, detail on uh, due to my experiences. So if you don't want to hear army things, I'd say um, book has always been five out of five for me and I'll see you next year. But anybody who wishes to carry on from this point, uh, this will be sort of fairly army centric because it goes on my experiences and what this book basically uh, puts forward uh, and bloody hell it is so close to the bone you would not believe anyway so I've often had officers uh, captains that are like Captain Struppy uh, politicos uh, basically looking out for the next person they can get a dig into because they think it makes them look good uh, most of these people uh, end up falling on their own sword so to speak and uh, that particular OC got caught out um, basically um, having adulterous relationships with many of the wives on the married patch, which was nice. I get to hear that. He got sent out to Ireland, which is kind of odd because the, the other OC that uh, basically did me, uh, well, I don't want to say did me wrong, uh, basically uh, listened to people she shouldn't listen to, um, and who didn't only just mess up my career, but messed up my section sergeant's career completely. Uh, he could have at least got his staffy, his staff sergeant, but no, no, no. They had to mess it up there and then. Um, it was. A, I mean, my sergeant, my section sergeant was a brilliant bloke. Um, Mick was an absolutely fantastic sergeant. So I couldn't have asked for better. Uh, as for the corporal that I ended up getting, I forgot who he was. Uh, all I can remember was he was he was actually rather good as well. Um, considering I was such a such a wet behind the ears sort of person at the time, um, really only got to be the sort of person I actually needed to be at that time. Now, oh well, that's the way of life. But I did re did tend to let me see things. Um, I've seen things of the world, got to experience things like falling out of a plane from. Uh, 12,000 feet. Um, yeah, it was a per perfectly turtle aeroplane at the time, of course. Um, that was a bit of fun. Um, core boats, uh, going to sort them out, and then uh, the guy saying, well, you're stuck here for a week now. Um, basically, the core boat's finished. Go and have some fun. You're on a holiday uh, for a week, which was not bad. Uh, but then other things like... Um, Eye-openers. Bosnia and Kosovo were definitely eye-openers. Um, it's probably everything I expected it to be. Um, Bosnia mainly because the land was still trying to build itself up at the time. It was 97. Uh, and a lot of the structure was still pretty well decimated. Uh, which meant that where I was based in Chippewa, that we were the we had the only hospital for a good hundred kilometres, I mean proper hospital, I say proper hospital, um, you must understand the British idea of a hospital is we find a building that's relatively clean, clean it up a little bit more and we put up tents inside it. Yeah, tents. In Kosovo in 99 I had the big eye-opener that uh, not every army has it as bad as we do. Um, 
it seemed to be the the roughneck idea was sort of the British Army sort of thing, and this is why this book is so extremely on the point. We were roughly intense, which was still better than what the uh, what the girls had in this book. And um, I went down to the German sector because I got an eye infection, and so I was basically looking at losing eye at the time, which was nice because they couldn't get it right. They'd had to send me back otherwise, and um, because they were messing up their fighting centre, and they sent me down to the German sector where they had a proper eye doctor. And uh, it took him literally. Uh, I went in there into the air. Con- this is middle of summer, of course. Uh, air conditioned um, container. So basically, the German army turns up with containers, and uh, they just move the sides out on the container. And the one container is for using repairing tank engines then you've got another one that's a proper hospital up to up to proper hospital standards um as you walk into the container you apart from the windows you look inside and it's exactly like a proper eye doctor's surgery here in germany so you know that sort of, sort of thing you get to see sort of the different standards that's sort of maybe the difference between uh if you took the british army has been borogravian and the uh, the Germans being sort of the other side, we weren't against each other. It was just sort of an example. But um, the other side definitely had better equipment than we did. Uh, gee whiz, the Americans had better equipment than we did. We went in there with everything, but we were uh, we've been basically held together with bootstraps. I'm not joking. Um, we did a move. We moved from. Skopje in Macedonia to Pristina. Uh, I was in the last um, convoy to go up and I literally did not have enough straps to contain the load on my 14 ton Bedford. And they were supposed to bring me some more straps and they forgot. And then about mm, 10 kilometers short Pristina, one of the straps decided it was going to snap and I had even less. And then the other people, because I was at the back of the convoy, uh, the other people in my convoy didn't follow convoy drills and buggered off and left me. So I was left alone with the people uh, who turned out to be a lovely bunch of people uh, of the, uh, the province of Kosovo. The uh, Albanian Kosovans uh, were basically really happy to see us there, and uh, I felt in danger until I ended up realising rather quickly that they were extremely friendly and just wanted to help, uh, which was an eye opener. So you can imagine uh, when it comes to things like uh, where it's mentioned how uh, how bad and how. Um, how bad the the, the Borogravians had it, uh, how how close to the knuckle things were. Maybe it's the land, but it was more representative of the British Army because the British Army uh, is not an army that it marches on its stomach. It's more a case of it marches on what it can get hold of. And um, I gave a few a few examples before getting right into the book. Now, um, the cheesemongers, uh, the regiment that. Uh, that Polly belongs to uh, in the book. Um, now it's a mixture. Now the cheesemongers themselves is actually uh, w- was actually one of the um, the regiments of the lifeguard. Uh, 
uh, lifeguards uh, <laughs> talking about Kosovo yeah lifeguards were there and um, uh, basically um, one of those uh, sort of uh, regiment uh, one of the regiments that went in and uh, held the airport Pristina and that's another tale for another time but uh, the cheesemongers uh, is their nickname because uh, basically it's due to do with Napoleonic Wars uh, around about that time uh, them stealing uh, cheese but uh, they are a cavalry regiment they've always been a cavalry regiment so it's um, it's more to do with uh, a regiment called the Two Royal Anglians, as we nicknamed them by the Remi, we called them the Anglians, but their nickname were the Poachers. And they are more the regiment that the book regiment is based on. The Cheesemonger's name is from the Lifeguards, but the regiment themselves, that's definitely the Poachers, the Two Royal Anglians. If you've ever served with them, and I did for a few, a few years, I was in Warminster, as uh, one lot of regiment changed out and another regiment came in. Basically what happens there, uh, Warminster is a training regiment uh, where they, uh, where other where officers or other regiments come in to get trained by uh, and in realistic uh, sort of scenarios um, train how to do tank and um, infantry um, training properly. Uh, there's a system we have, it's from Saab, or oh, we had a system from Saab, uh, it's basically uh, all electronic, um, lets you know if you've been hit or that, and it, it basically uh, tells you, uh, basically what happens, um, if you're an infantry soldier, you get hit, your system that's on your helmet and your body armour starts beeping, it's full of batteries, yeah, the batteries can get changed out, uh, the system gets, starts beeping and basically what happens is then you take out your car to find out what's happened to you and uh, that's how a lot of people get a lot of shock, uh, but it's a shock at the time, uh, that's what would have happened to you in all reality, uh, most probably uh, you're hit by a mortar round, even if it was just somebody, it was just firing off, off a, a gun or something like that, or a tank round had hit you, fall in the chest, uh, you just happen to be in the way, or stuff like that. Um, it's quite a heavy sort of thing, but I'm uh, sidetracking. So the 2nd po uh, Battalion, uh, the Royal Anglins, uh, that's definitely the regiment that this is based, uh, that the, uh, the Cheesemongers is based on, the in and outs is based on. Um, Good bunch of lads, uh, as such. Uh, the local regiment from one of my army mates at the time, uh, but he was Remy, and he was <laughs> he was uh, with with the tanks uh, all the time. Uh, that's his what his what his um, oh, what's going his um, what he learned basically uh, learned to do with uh, gun systems and all that. Uh, well, it's not bad work, but uh, after you get out the right army, you've got to see that you've got up to management level, otherwise you've had it. Um, but I am sidetracking. But uh, yes, so the fact is that the uh, the Royal Anglians and the lifeguards were mixed together to produce this regiment. Um, and that's sort of the base of the whole thing. 
Now, getting onto the book itself, after all that slight history and a bit of a muddled because my brain is farting as a, like it usually does when I record podcasts. Uh, the Monstrous Regiment is the 31st um, in the Discworld series. It takes its name from the anti-Catholic uh, 16th century tract by John Knox, uh, which Colin just mentioned previously, uh, which is the full title, uh, which is the full title, of which is uh, the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women. And uh, the cover uh, illustration, uh, one of the, it's one of the beautiful ones done by um, Paul Kibbe, and it is a parody though uh, of Joe Rosenthal's uh, photograph raising the flag on. Iwo Jima, or Iwo Jima, depending on how you want to pronounce it, American or the other way. That's probably a proper way to pronounce that, uh, which I'd like to know. Anyway, uh, the ISBN number is 0385-603-401. Okay, that's 0385-603-401. The easiest way is to type the monstrous or monstrous regiment into Google. Now, uh, the basis of it is small town of uh, Bargravia uh, is under attack and uh, by from its neighbour. Uh, but it has a, a nutcase of that's my own words a nutcase of a god called Nuggin who basically just likes writing out abominations and uh, the fact is there's one part of the book, I do warn you of spoilers, uh, that's when the Ankh-Morpork uh, Ankh contingent turns up and the one character is told that they might want to have a look at a um, current edition because it writes itself, the book, and all the new abominations turn up uh, it's like a leaf folder uh, sort of affair, and new abominations turn up almost uh, in, in daily. It's me tripping over a word. They turn up daily, and any copy that's gone outside of Borough Grave yeah, stops getting the updates. Sounds like software. I wonder if that was what his idea was with that thing. Anyway, uh, you know things like put it in perspective. Um, Abominations such as garlic, cats, the smell of beets, which is good for a country that's main production is beets. Uh, people with ginger hair, shirts with six buttons, anyone shorter than three feet, including children and babies, sneezing, rocks, ears, jigsaw puzzles, chocolate, which was once Borough staple exports, plunging the country into increasing poverty, and the colour blue. And so you can understand what state the country's got in just because of religion uh, alone. Now, Slovenia is the, the, the country next door which keeps taking over because of the fact that uh, Slovenia's heir, just like the royal family, this is great because this is getting sort of the history of Europe, uh, you know, Queen Victoria's time sort of the idea, where everybody was basically sort of related to everybody else in some sort of fashion. Um, that's why you have, uh, you know, there was a joke once said about, uh, Prince, Fi about Prince, not Prince Philip, Prince Charles, that somebody in the royal family knew somebody in the royal family. Um, and in the monstrous regiment, 
is more the case of the fact that uh, the cousin uh, of the Duchess is also the prince, uh, the ruler of Slovenia. Now, as it often happens, and it happens, uh, this is also taken from things like World War One as well, there were women who basically dressed up as men and uh, being things tight as they were towards the end of World War One, uh, that more people were uh, needed for the slaughter because you can't describe World War One as anything else but as a slaughter uh, if you have any doubt it may be a comedy but like as I mentioned uh, during Korn's Clacks um, go and look up Black Adder Goes Forth now the captain Captain or Lieutenant Blouse, as he starts off with, uh, Lieutenant Blouse always reminds me of Captain Darling as looks. As far as intelligence goes, he's quite the opposite of Captain Darling, and he would have definitely have had a cunning plan. But, um, like I say, go and watch Blackadder Goes Forth, and um, I will warn you for the sixth and final episode, uh, right at the end, have a box of tissues handy. It catches me every bloody time. I've seen it, even if it's just a small excerpt. Um, basically, because um, after being in the army, I think it really just drives it home. Uh, and you know from experience uh, what it must have been like. But getting back to this, um, now there was a thing of uh, women chasing their husbands or lovers in the army. A lot of them did get caught out. Um, I wouldn't say... Well, at least it's unknown to me at this time uh, whether any got as far as being generals on, on boards of things. Uh, but uh, it seems uh, uh, that it it happened quite often that uh, a woman would get into, managed to get into the army and managed to pass herself off and not get caught out, uh, basically to the middle in the battlefield, and their guts were hanging out. Not to paint a too nice a picture about it, and then they realised that the man wasn't a man but a woman. But anywho, uh, Polly is basically doing uh, what many of uh, women did in real life, and basically went out to get their brothers back or their husband back, basically because they were left. Because if they didn't come back, they'd be destitute, uh, being things what they were. Uh, it's nice living in this world as we do now, where um, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if the husband dies, there's usually something to cover things. But then it was a case of uh, if the husband died, then they basically lost everything, including the home. Uh, either they'd have to go back and live with their parents, or um, uh, they'd basically been, you know, Depending on what's uh, how far it was and whether poor, poor houses were uh, uh, available or not, um, yeah, it wasn't exactly a nice time. So the sort of background towards this sort of stuff is just—it's very well documented. I suggest go out there and read about it. Um, you know, we're battling at this time of uh, PC and stuff—you know, politically correct stuff—and the fact that. Uh, um, you know, PC's been fine, but uh, you have to go back and look at history to how see how what really awful things happened. 
awful thing that's happened still today. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, we marched into uh, Kosovo to stop um, Holocausts happening all over again. Because the Serbians were rather good at it. I have to readily admit, um, the, the Serbian soldiers uh, led by... Oh, that was a good bit of news this week we had. That uh, the, well, the, the biggest and nastiest generals finally got, after almost 20 years, done uh, at The Hague and was convicted of being absolutely 100% guilty of the Holocaust and uh, that he the Holocausts that he caused. I won't call it anything else because it's exactly what it is. Holocaust is basically when you go out and do a major uh, wholesale genocide uh, in, in towns and cities, then that's exactly what it is, nothing else. Well, I'm drifting. Gee whiz, I said it's going to be a hard one. Anyway, um, at the beginning of the story, you have basically uh, Sergeant Jackram and Corporal Strappy. Now, Sergeant Jackram is basically every uh, sergeant you wish you bloody well had when you were in the army. Uh, the one that looked after his boys and didn't look uh, at basically making himself look good to get the next promotion. I met one or two. They were generally not sergeants, but corporals. Um, you know, jolly around and all that sort of thing, but did look after his lads and the people that were under him, and it was very well known. And they were respected, even if um, it did stop them getting promoted to sergeant. Um, met plenty of that sort of type of person. Uh, one or two I had in my platoons as well. Uh, guys, I sort of looked up to because, um, as basically. I knew at the time that I wasn't going to get anywhere as far as rank was concerned, so I could look up to these people to see, you know, they're not taking the shit because they spoke their minds, because they spoke what we knew had to be done and what had to happen. Because a lot of uh, officers and um, warrant officers were basically uh, trying to blind the facts to make it look better than it really was in the situations, whatever it was. Oh, gee whiz, this is getting really into a bit of dramatics, hey? Um, try to pick this up a bit. Well, uh, like I say, Jack Rome is every sergeant you wish you had in the army, looking after the little lads. And Strappy is every corporal that you bloody well got. Nasty little arsehole. Uh, who's basically out for his own uh, needs, trying to get the next promotion sort of thing. Uh, despite then, okay, this is a spoiler, yeah, crap it. Uh, Strappy turns out to be an actual captain of the political corps but the fact is that uh, Strappy is literally a lot of corporals uh, or sergeants that I came across my way in time were known for nasty, being really nasty pieces at work not the sort of shouty shouty because you've done something bad but more the case of looking uh, at catching you out for just about any little piece of piss so I was quite happy when in the book that Strappy basically disappears uh, not too far into the book. Um, now, a Lieutenant Blau's character never really sort of... I mean, yes, the, the chinless wonders, there were enough of them. Um, but the clever officer who was uh, out there shown to be clever and... Um, you know, not getting caught out for simple, stupid things and that. Uh, wish we had them. 
you know, um, a lot of them were basically listening to uh, strappies a lot of the time. At my time in the army, I don't know if it's changed, but it generally doesn't change that much. Uh, the faces change, and the names change, but the types basically remain the same. Um, I, I had a fairly decent OC and CO in my final regiment. Um, uh, that was in uh, 2CS regiment, RLC in Guttersloe. Uh, where, yeah, I've got to say, the, the OC was a pretty good one, and the ASM was, oh, the ASM, the ASM is basically, um, I talked about this artificer role, basically you got so far in the army, and then you had to decide whether you wanted to be an artisan or artificer. Artisan meant you went back and started studying, and you got more into the managerial side of things. And the final uh, rank before officer uh, is ASM. Uh, Artificer Sergeant Major, which is the same rank as a RSM, Royal uh, um, Regimental Sergeant Major, which basically really pisses off RSMs no ends when you've got an ASM in the regiment, uh, because they're somebody of equal rank to them who basically can tell them to stuff it if they so wish, which happens on more than one occasion. Uh, and I found absolutely hilarious because it was uh, completely right. The RSM was being a dick, basically, and uh, end up getting told so in not so few words. And quite articulately at times. So, but my last regiment, yeah, the uh, he came from aircraft. He'd gone through the aircraft role because uh, the army aircraft were uh, were not uh, supported by the um, RAF, but by our own guys. And he was a fairly decent bloke. Um, the only thing he ever got caught out with was that he was he was a great one for for uh, Tour de France type cycling. And the amount of times that we ended up getting the notes and the uh, HQ uh, that he'd been caught again doing more than seventy kilometres an hour on his race bike. Uh, he was a fantastic bloke as well. His heart was in the right place. Uh, if time, at times he seemed a little odd to people. Uh, but anyway, I'm drifting. I was trying to get through back to the book here. So, um, but like I say any any person who was ever in the army reads this book and instantly recognises the characters, uh, the types, and that. Um, I instantly recognised that Polly was. As far as a soldier goes, the the one or two types, they go in, they are keen, and they stay keen, and they go up there, and they're basically, um, they're not arseholes at all. They're good blokes, and you do get them. Uh, I had them often in my regiments and that. They're, they're good blokes. They do all more than what's expected of them, and you can see why they get promoted quickly, because they seem to just have that, that, that brain for it. Um... The sort of Jade character, and uh, there is, I mean, you know, Jade is a troll. Uh, we'll just, you know, it doesn't have to be female, it can be also a male, but we had enough idiots in regiments. Um, as the 9th, 12th Lancers were still at Warminster, uh, we had this guy called Gilbert who drove the ambulance. Uh, I say drove, it was, uh, go look up a 432, FV 432. 
look it up on 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 the Google. Uh, I say the Google. That's so Scots. Look it up on Google. And uh, basically, it was an uh, ambulance variant. Although the ambulance wasn't very ambulance-like, it was basically it just had a red cross painted on the side of it. But he drove that, and he was a bit of it was a dim bulb of the highest rank. Nice enough bloke. Um, but there was the one time where we were, uh, basically what we did was um, what happened usually was that we, as a Remy group, would go and park with the HQ elements um, well out of the uh, training zone and the training people would just get on with it and as they needed us uh, we'd send in our um, Challenger recovery vehicle to go and look uh, if any other tanks have gone down and basically one morning as I was uh, we were just uh, swapping over I basically just finished being on stag for two hours and he'd come on stag stag has been uh, on watch basically uh, no matter what happens somebody stays on watch the whole night uh, you are in the middle of nowhere it, you know you can actually uh, bump into civvies or some civvies can bump into where you've actually got your uh, your location and uh, you know they have to be told in no uncertain terms to get off military land. But the fact was that uh, Gilbert is very much like Jade, but Jade had a bit more finesse than Gilbert. Gilbert was very much a troll-like character in that he wasn't very bright uh, during sunlight, and even less when it got dark, he tended to get thicker the, the colder it got, I suppose. Um, a nice enough bloke, like I said, but um, yeah, we were training the Royal Marines at the times, and the Royal Marines had these things they used in the Arctic, which are sort of weird little snow buggy things, uh, which steer basically by having two hydraulic rams in the middle of the like a like a. If you've ever seen these extra long buses that bend in the middle, that sort of idea, but instead of it would be like those ideas, but the fact that the steering is done by two hydraulic pistons and the bit, the bit in the middle where it bends is where it steers. Really weird little pieces of crap they were. And crap they were too. Um, but I'm drifting. Where was I? Anyway, I get back to where I was supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gilbert saw them coming over the horizon and decided to open fire. They weren't anywhere near us. And soon as uh, Gilbert decided to open fire, let, let them know where we were located. They would have gone past us without ever bumping into us. Told them, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. He still opened fire. And they came into our position. And they got a bollocking for being completely out of the zone. Which is nice. But there was a lot of uh, confusion and chaos. And the Royal Engineer uh, bridge layer that was with us uh he decided he went and he went off chasing them across the uh across the, the the land of the salisbury plain in his bridge layer so he's chasing that he got back yeah did you see what fun i had that not realized the royal marines were still in our position yeah anyway let's say jade reminds me of this guy called gilbert you so you get these characters uh now you, you get like tonka and shufti um, and you always have your nervous person. You're not sure why they're in the in the British Army. You're not sure how they got in. 
Um, it makes them into slightly better people than they were as they got in. Uh, that, that's for sure. Um, but they end up getting themselves into some sort of uh, what you think is something small, but they end up landing in the big old, um, basically going to what we call the glass house, which is um, the the big military jail that used to be at Colchester, or it's still at Colchester, I don't know if it's still there. But you have your sort of things, and then there's sort of the other people. Um, I can't remember who it was there, I'm sure it was Lofty, but uh, one of them was the, the fact that uh, there's the person that can get hold of anything. You think you're stuck in that, and you have your sort of storm master, if they're any good, they'll get hold of anything. And you see that, and always got something on them, and that, and that. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, I've got something to sort this out. Yeah, there's lots of those in the army. But as far as the, the story goes, um, it reminds me of lots of exercises that I was on. Um, generally, when you get into position of stuff like Kosovo, uh, sort of stuff doesn't really happen much these sort of days. Um, you do have sort of other things going on. Um, I wouldn't say similar, but have a, a very light similarity to what happens in the, in the story. Um, yeah, capture of um, I think that's more World War Two sort of uh, stories. Uh, things that happened World War Two with the, with the actual capture of enemy equipment being well into enemy territory and faking uh, to the enemy that you are one of them, uh, and basically not giving your position away. Um, people like uh, Christopher Lee. Um, the actor Christopher Lee, yes, um, he was very much part of all that. Go have a read of Christopher Lee's, uh, Lee's uh, life uh, as he was in the military. It's an eye-opener. Uh, but as far as the story goes, uh, it flows extremely well. Um, you have, I haven't been able to say this for quite a while, but you do have quite a few parts in it. Um, uh, you have the the, the story as part of the of Polly and their position with uh, Jackram and the lieutenant. Uh, you have the what's going on partly with William the Word, but that sort of blends itself into the what happens with Ankh Pork, uh, basically uh, Mr. Vimes, uh, which is another reason I probably like this book so much. Because uh, Vimes speaks so much sense. Um, I think Vimes in this book is more the sort of case of the word of reason that should have happened, uh, as Colin mentioned, um, during World War One, with his football game, where it should have actually ended with that game of football and uh, basically everybody going home at that point. Um... The fact that the people like Lord Rust and that were very much like the the generals and that uh, at that time. It's Terry's pulled pieces from all sorts of bits of history and that to make this book uh, be as realistic as possible uh, within this setting. And he's done such a great job. Even going forward to doing sort of... Um, you have have the, uh, the vampire... Um, Start uh, the vampire is a black ribboner, 
it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, um, where he starts having, or ends up, uh, he, she starts having hallucinations because he can't get hold of coffee beans and starts drifting into Vietnam. And um, the one or two Vietnam veterans I've ever spoken to, um, they were basically getting out at the time that I had just started. Can you imagine that? They actually started their, their army careers by landing in Vietnam. And, uh, yeah, you get to speak to that. Some of them are only colonels, but it was just nice to actually speak to somebody who'd been in that situation, you know, could actually tell you what it was really like. Yeah, it's an eye-opener, as I keep saying. But a lot of that stuff there, you know, and them getting pinned down in, in, in situations. The, the films about this sort of thing, uh, such as Platoon, just don't do it any sort of dramatic uh, consequence. Uh, the closest that anything's really got there, Platoon's not really close, I think. Um, Stanley Kubrick's uh, Full Metal Jacket is probably the closest um, that anything got to being semi-realistic there. And to how the people felt at the time as well. But as the book goes, um, for anybody who's not been in the military, it may be hard going. Please give it a chance. Um, lock onto the characters. Uh, definitely, I mean, you can lock onto onto Polly. Definitely onto uh, onto Sergeant Jackram. Um, the way such Sergeant Jackram uh, basically departs at the end of the book. Um, I will give you a spoiler. It is a happy ending, as such, but um, it always um, brings a tear to your eye because you know at least of one or two of the guys that you knew that uh, as a military guy who never came home. They went out to these places, had a lot of uh, a big case of bad luck, and ended up coming home uh, in a crate. Uh, you can't describe these uh, boxes any other way. So, um, on that depressing note, I'm sorry it got so deep. Um, but it is an extremely brilliant book. Um, it's in my top three of Discworld books, without a doubt. Probably on the every time that I, I, I go through it, it's probably in the second spot, right behind uh, Nightwatch. Um, basically because this book is it's it really battles with Nightwatch for my, my uh, favourite book due to the facts of my military time or what happened to me, what happened to people I've known uh, how well this is written and uh, close to what could have happened at, that, at the time of Napoleonic Wars and that um, that's, honestly um, Terry researched this thing extremely well Um if it was not researched, he actually had really, really good knowledge of what went on, uh, including women getting into the army. Uh, nowadays, uh, actually, as I was uh, first joined up, um, women start to get transferred. We had a women's, uh, the RAC, the Royal Regiment, uh, the Women's Royal Army Corps, as it's called, it was a very bad name for them because they ended up getting a nickname, a uh, very sexist nickname. Um, 
but uh, the rack uh, the regiment of the women's uh, uh, royal army corps ended up getting disbanded that was anything bad uh, what happened was that the corps such as mine the uh, the remi or the royal engineers or the royal Leg uh, royal logistic corps as it became as we ended up being sh uh, shrunk down uh, royal logistic corps um the Pioneer Corps got shrunk into the Engineer Corps. Who else was the Royal Catering Corps ended up getting into the Royal Logistic, uh, being pulled into the Royal Logistic Corps. So basically, the Women's uh, Royal Army Corps uh, basically got disbanded, and the women were uh, basically went straight into the main course proper. So equal pay, um, all that sort of stuff, uh, equal. Uh, rank equal um, promotion possibilities you know depending on whether you know you did a good enough because uh, of that you have you're all basically equal the only things that weren't equal of course women have their own blocks to live in um, so they could go and have a shower in peace uh, of a load of sexist oogling blokes going and looking at them um, but um, I had mates of mine um, who basically went through base, uh, basic um, what's the training not basic training but basic um, oh, what's the word I call I'm looking for um, uh, job training you know as mechanic you're a soldier first but then you get your job training on top of that and as I went through basic job training, they um, some of them actually went up quite quickly because they had a pretty good aptitude for it. Uh, some were like me, basically got on with the job, were okay at the job, but you know, and I was better at inspections. I was really uh, that's one thing they did notice. Um, they like put me in the inspections department. They thought, well, we'll give them a chance in inspections, and it turned out uh, that's the job for me. Um, I knew I was rather good at inspecting uh, MOTs, but you know, like doing year, year, uh, yearly and six monthly inspections on vehicles and that, uh, inspecting um, tank motors as well as they came in and that, quite the eye for the details. So I'd notice things and it's like, well, that is changed, that, 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 and that, and the guys would look like that. Oh, I've missed that. Um, but yeah, quite a lot of them. The one or two actually got up, uh, did the uh, artisifer, as I said, managerial training, which was great. Uh, good to see that. Uh, bumped in years later, just as going out. They're like, oh, you still the same man? It was just, yeah. Uh, I basically did my needs in 96, and that was the end of my army career, but I stayed in until 2003. Uh, still went out to places like Bosnia and Kosovo despite being uh, sort of, as their term, disabled, and still managed to get around it by putting me into workshops that are a bit out of the way. You still experience stuff well enough. Uh, like the one time I got shot at, and I was actually in the middle of my workshop um, place. I was, if you do understand how the place was laid out in Superfo, um, the workshop was uh, up a hill, out of the way in an old uh, aluminium fabric uh, fabric uh, aluminium um, uh, fabric is factory sorry I had the German word in my head the the uh, aluminium factory 
And then there was a uh, a proper wood um, works down below us. And there's quite... A, so the distance between me and the guy that opened fire must have been at least oof, a kilometre. Um, but he was just a drunk farmer. The, the reason I come under fire is basically he was spraying rounds everywhere. So I wasn't the only person under fire at the time. I just happened to be outside walking, uh, working on top of one of our recovery wa uh, recovery trucks at the time. So it's like that. Literally, the shots were going over my head. It's about about two to three feet clearance. So I was quite lucky. Um, I thought it. Odd enough, I thought it was pigeons. Pigeons would be dropping rocks on top of our. Uh, basically, uh, it was getting towards uh, harvest time, and there were these pigeons that had basically discovered nuts. And they discovered if you drop, they watched the uh, ravens and that uh, dropping uh, rocks on things to open up um, or kill things uh, worth eating. And uh, they came up with the same idea; they could do the same with nuts. And they'd be doing it. Only we had the rocks because they just didn't like uh, uh, improvised area for holding vehicles. So you just put a ton of rocks down, uh, small rocks and pebbles, and then big rocks as underlay and that. And they'd been dropping rocks or pebbles on top of the workshop all week because they weren't very good shots. And I thought it was that. It was only when my one officer came running out and said, are you mad? There's a guy there opening fire with an AK-47 down below that I realised what was actually happening. So despite being in safety, <laughs> anything can happen. Uh, even if you're... I won't mention the other time that something nasty really happened. Uh, luckily I wasn't the guy it happened to, but I was the guy who ended up uh, making sure the guy not only got his first aid at the time. Um, like I said, that was that was Bosnia again. Uh, basically the only hospital we had for miles um, was ours. Uh, or they had the only hospital they had as well, the, the local residents for miles, like a hundred kilometres was no other hospital for 100 kilometers and they'd all just been bombed out see uh a guy came up to the gates saying he had a problem with his brother i won't mention the rest of it i was on guard at the time that was a bit of a shock anyway <laughs> all i say is um it's probably why i've got the opinions the way i do the way i am what I will say is I wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Hanukkah and any other sort of festival. Oh yeah, Happy Hogswatch. That was just now, wasn't it? That's just happened, Hogswatch. Um, and any other sort of whatever your religion is, religious festival. I will see you in the new year. Oh, you will hear me in the new year sometime. So we're in January, I hope. I hope it's not February by the time I get to it. Um, let's just say, but I say, um, work has been mad. And that's just a fine time where it's peaceful in the house, that I can record this, and that the wife doesn't need me for anything, that I'm not uh, something with my band, uh, where we've actually uh, stood up there performing. It's been quite a good year as far as that's concerned. Uh, pretty piss poor as far as work's concerned because um, yeah, shifts just keep changing and I've had many different shift change within one week uh, with different and starting times and ending times 
I have constant. I seem to have constant uh, jet lag. <laughs> jet lag. That's why I'm mumbling right now. Anyway, he's drifting. I wish you all a merry whatever. Have a great time. Stay safe. And hopefully, if Orange 45 hasn't done anything stupid, we will be back in January, in the new year, in 2018. Oh, gee whiz. The year of what lobster? Something like that. Spill back to the beginning. Thanks to everybody that's contributed throughout the year. Uh, thanks to, um, first of all, to Colin. That is, yeah, the... Uh, Mate Colin Hicks, who basically we'd have no feedback without. Uh, Dave, I know you're out there um, basically working now and having to do worky things, but uh, your feedback through the earlier part of the year until you had to go do worky jobby things has been uh, fantastic. It's kept my morals, uh, moral heart, uh, moral, my, um, it's kept me up. Uh, thanks to Yuna, uh, Yuna Karchan, uh, who does, uh, is one of the admins on the Facebook group, nudges me now and again when anything may be awry. We have the luck that the Facebook group is small enough not to be an idiot radar. Uh, thanks also, last but not least, to Rachel and Anthony at face at the uh, Facebook. <laughs> Sorry, you two. Uh, to them at the Discworld Monthly uh, for posting on Facebook uh, anything that it has been of interest into our Facebook group uh, so people get a heads up. And lastly, of course, to all of you who download and listen to my wafflings here. This has been a long one. Um, I knew it was going to be a long one. It's one of those books which basically drags up a lot of memories and is an absolute joy to listen to. So, what is to start off the next year? Well, I will be continuing with other author Pratchett fans may like. And finishing off the main books that are currently available for the Rivers of London series, that's books four, five and six, and uh, that is Broken Homes, Fox Glove Summer, and uh, The Hanging Tree. God, memory is getting bad. Uh, those will be those. Uh, I will shall sort of sort of complete that for the meantime, eventually sometime next year, with uh, the graphic novels and the, uh, the novelette, um, The Further Station within some time next year, uh, then carrying on to other authors. I will come back to Ben Aronovich because it seems to be something that not only myself but others uh, seem to like and those episodes actually seem to peak up a wee bit. Uh, otherwise, uh, I was slowly going through other Discworld novels. Um, now, other authors I've added to the other authors list. Uh, another one that I've added to the list which I've been going through is um, the Tripod Trilogy, um, which is uh, which I've just got done with as well. Uh, first time since my childhood. Um, I'll review that at the time. But those are the books to look forward to in the new year. 
and I'm trying to slow this thing down before I run out of disc world books and this podcast actually comes to a logical conclusion. So like I say, see you in the new year and bye for now. If you want to contact us, then you can try through the Facebook group, The Pratchett Podcast. You can also get in contact over the email ratchetpodcast at gmail.com Also on Twitter the you you librarian he keeps saying ook all the time who knows why